Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Bible and Me podcast. In this episode, Nigel Watts talks to Richard Kernan, the pastor of Wadebridge Christian Centre, about becoming a Christian in his 30s, moving from banking to ministry work in his 50s, and his family and life struggles and how faithful God has been throughout. Richard also talks about his love of the book of Nehemiah. We pray God speaks to you through Richard. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals speaking and may not represent the views of Precept Ministries UK. We hope and pray that this podcast will bless you in your walk of faith. If it does, leave us a rating or review and subscribe for more podcasts every Friday. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled to um, welcome Richard Kerno to the Bible and Me podcast today. Richard grew up in Cornwall before moving to London, uh, where he became one of the youngest and most successful retail managers for Lloyds Bank, uh, with whom he worked until his retirement in his early 50s. He, amongst other things, he ran the business training department at Cornwall College for three years before becoming a pastor of Weybridge Christian Centre. He and his wife Carly have four children, one of whom some of you may have heard of, Josh, because he was a semi-finalist on Britain's Got Talent in 2016. Richard, thank you so much for being on the programme today. It's a pleasure. It's great. Um, Richard, how did you become a Christian and why do you follow Jesus? So I was uh, 33 before I became a Christian. Um, I kind of had a very traditional upbringing uh, in Cornwall. Well, you know, went to church as a, as a young boy, sang in the choir. Um, but really, it was only something really where I could earn some pocket money, especially at weddings on a Saturday morning, whereas choir boys, we, you know, would pick up uh, five shillings or something. Um, <laughs> That was your motivation for coming to church. <laughs> well, I mean, that was the motivation for coming to church. Yeah, that 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 was it. Um, I kind of knew the tradition, but I didn't know. I did. I really didn't know Jesus. Um, I, I knew about the church. I knew what the church did, but I had no relationship with Jesus at all. And so, consequently, at the age of um, about seventeen, I think it was. Uh, I, I stopped going to church um, because there was nothing in it uh, for me. I found it really boring, to, if I'm truthful, and there were far better things to do on a Sunday morning than, than going to church. Um, I, I moved to, to London uh, with my work, and um, uh, I was married uh, by then, and um, we were trying to sell a house in Surrey to move somewhere else we'd seen a house that we wanted to buy and we were desperate to move to move houses and uh, my wife um, came across an old uh, school friend of hers who was a Christian uh, was a born-again Christian and uh, at school uh, Carly my wife used to make fun of this of this girl because of her Christian faith but suddenly this girl appeared in her life and um started to to talk about Jesus to Carly, and she was interested. And then Carly's brother, who was a a big metropolitan policeman, heavyweight boxing champion of the Metropolitan Police, um, he um, got very friendly with a policewoman 
who invited him to go camping with her and he thought he was on to a, a good thing here until he realised that the camp that uh, he was on was a Christian camp uh, up in the lakes and he came back full of God and he came back as well. So there were these two people who had a big influence on Carly's life. At the time we were trying to sell a house, one evening she took herself away I didn't know where she'd gone and while she was gone I took a phone call from people who were interested in buying our house and said they'd like to buy it and she came back and I said where have you been she said I've been praying about our selling our house and I said well it's actually sold so that had had an impact on me it had a huge impact on Carly and she uh, gave her gave her life to the Lord I didn't but what I did do was I started going back to my tradition and went back to the Anglican Church trying to find something that Carly had. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it at this church. I, I can remember the preacher preaching one day on the beauty of stained glass windows. And I, I thought, I, I, I don't understand this. What has this got to do with God? We moved house and Carly went to uh, an evangelical church. Um, and occasionally I would go to this church with her and she very graciously would come at times to the Anglican church when I went and this confused our two children that we had at the time who said are we going to mummy's church or daddy's church today and I um I secretly liked going to this evangelical church because um I, I heard the bible being read for the first time really and then not only being read, but being exposed and, and explained. And I really liked the singing. It was, it, it was, I loved singing and it was kind of vibrant and people were singing as if they meant it and the words meant something uh, to me. And one day a preacher came and he said, um, and he happened to be um, a, a retired bank manager. So I was quite interested to hear this guy uh, speak and he spoke he spoke from um, Isaiah 40 the end of Isaiah 47 I think it is where Isaiah talks about um, the churning of the sea and how it's restless and how um, we can be like that and there's no peace in our lives and and I genuinely thought and I know a lot of people have had this experience I genuinely thought that people in that congregation had tipped the preacher off about me because I I heard him and of course I now know that it was it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me but I heard him relay the situation that I was in um, from the pulpit or from the from the front of the, the platform and <clears throat> he then called for a period of quietness and silence which I thought was a bit spooky. I thought, oh, what's going to happen now? And he asked for the Holy Spirit to just touch people who needed touching. And I, this was this was really kind of not my scene at all. Remember, yeah, I'm a city banker. Um, I'm 32. Um, I'm you know full of dignity, and I'm you know I'm upright, and all of this sort of stuff. And I heard people crying around me and thought, well, I wonder what's going on. So I kind of opened my eyes and saw people just being prayed for. And, and, and do you know, with that, Nigel, I found myself on the floor, uh, on my knees, 
my nose running, my eyes running, as I suddenly realised that that I needed to have what that preacher had, and I needed to get my life right with God. And it was a, it was a. <clears throat> I mean, I know it now as a work of the Holy Spirit. At the time, I didn't know what was happening to me. I found myself even talking in a in a strange language, and I had no idea. I had no background in this at all. I had no idea what was happening uh, to me. And um, a couple of guys came up and just kind of prayed with me and asked me what was happening. And uh, I realised I'd become a Christian. <laughs> I didn't understand it. Um, um, <clears throat> the, the, the following uh, week or so, I wrestled with what had happened. Was this just emotion? Was this just, uh, you know, maybe maybe he was saying things and they were resonating with me and I was under pressure. And I, I kind of thought, is this, a, is this an emotional experience? I thought, I have to anchor this somewhere. And uh, I, was, I was working in, in the city of London at the time and went along to, uh, I heard, I'd heard of a church called St. Helens in Bishopsgate. And there was, uh, I, I'd heard that there was a good teacher there called Dick Lucas. And so I went to, and they, used to, and they still do have a service on a Tuesday lunchtime, and I, I used to go there and listen and thought, well, this, is, this is fantastic what they're telling me. And I then enrolled in a, in a Monday evening class with Dick Lucas, and I asked him all these weird questions, all these you know, pathetic questions when I, when I think about them. And that dear man, who I know is still alive and in, in his 90s, he was just so patient, and he, he just explained scripture uh, to me, and, he, and, he, and he, he took none of my questions as being silly, and oh, he just he just guided me, mm. so that's how I became mm. uh, a Christian. That may be a little bit long winded, but that's see the story. There's some emotion in yeah. your face as you yeah. bring those things to your mm. memory. Um, what changed? So, um, my language changed for a start, um, uh, and, and that kind of changed almost instantly. Um, you know, some of the words I was using were not particularly uh, good words. Um, I had to deal with my selfishness. It's very self-centered, very self-reliant. Um, and, I, you know, I believe God's given me that as a strength. But actually, it was not coming out in the right way in, in, in terms of just being selfish, really cut and thrust uh, because of the kind of world that I was in. Um, I think I, I, I think I realised probably for the first time that I was married, you know, and I mean that, I mean, I, I, I loved Carly all the time, but there was, a, there was a sense of communion, a deeper, you know, she'd already become a Christian. She'd been a Christian for 18 months or so. So there was a real sense of just coming together as one because we weren't one before. We, we weren't, we weren't at each other's throats, but we were, we were not one, as 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 Scripture says, you you become one. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, and if anybody's listening to this who's got an unsaved spouse, just keep praying for them. Carly never pushed her faith on me. She never um, uh, kind of told me off or anything like that. She just, I know she prayed for me, and I know there were others praying for me in in her church. Uh, you know, I, I, 
I realise that now. But get other people to pray for your unsaved spouse. Just keep praying for them. Just keep honouring them. Um, don't push scripture down their, their throat. Um, because, you know, scripture tells us it's, it's by what we do that people will see who we are. And they'll see the love of God coming through. So, um, you know, I just encourage people who, who, are not, who are married to an unsaved husband or wife. Don't give up. Just keep praying. Just get others to pray for them and um, just love them. Yeah, wonderful. Now, you, you grew up in Cornwall. You, you moved to London and, and you started working with Lloyds Bank. You had a very successful career with Lloyds Bank. How would you characterise that time with Lloyds Bank? I mean, you've hinted that you went up to London. You were, you were a banker yeah. and then you became a follower of the Lord. So I'm, yeah. I'm guessing there was a sort of maybe a bit of a yeah. change in... in what was going on in your career as well, but you obviously you were in, you were in employment with Lloyd's for some time. Yeah, yeah. There's a kind of before Christ experience, and there's an after Christ <laughs> experience. So, um, as far as my employment is concerned, it didn't change. I mean, you know, and, and as a Christian, you are, and we're told, aren't we, to obey our earthly masters, um, not to the extent that you that there's anything that's, not, that's anti-biblical, but um, I think as far as my work was concerned, it, it didn't change. I mean, I, I was keen to progress through and I don't think God took away any form of ambition uh, from me. Uh, he may have re- redirected it slightly um, and the, my attitude may have changed, but I was still ambitious um, and still wanted to, to reach as far as I could. And, you know, I had aspirations and I had a career path that I'd set out. Uh, for myself it didn't work out that way because God had other ideas and put me in other places I believe but I was still ambitious so working for for the bank uh, the way I worked didn't change I mean I I was always trying to be honorable anyway even before I was uh, even before I was a Christian I think what did change though was empathy for people so um, when I was having to um, deal with you know challenging situations whether that be with staff or whether that be with clients I, I think there was a change in my attitude there was more empathy with people there was more um, kind of trying to find solutions for people um, and occasionally there was the opportunity to pray for people as well um, in fact it was probably easier in those days to say look I'm a Christian can I pray for you yeah. Than it, than it is uh, nowadays. So there would be occasions when I would say um, uh, to people who were in my office, and, and I knew they weren't Christians, I would say to them, look, I actually think God can break through into your situation. I'm a Christian. Would you like me to pray for you? Uh, often they would say, well, that would be very nice. Thank you very much. Not expecting me to pray for them there and then. <laughs> um, but... Um, you know, there were those opportunities. And I, I accept they may not be quite as, as, it may not be quite as easy nowadays to do that. Yeah. Now, you were with Lloyd's until your early 50s. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you retired from there, age 51, to become pastor of Weybridge Christian Centre. Yeah. Uh, having been a part-time pastor for the church uh, since 2009. Why did you leave Lloyd's? 
Uh, I mean, 50s, you could argue, you know, there's still a few years to go. Yeah. You know, people retire maybe in their 60s. Um, one may say it could have been a lucrative career, who knows, in banking. Sure. Um, but so what, how did God lead you to decide, you know what, my heart's no longer in this. I need to be doing something else. How did that work? Okay, I'll I just go back a little bit because I think, I think this is relevant. Uh, when I became a Christian, um, both Carly and I, um, you know, we really worked together very well. And um, we were asked to uh, run the youth group at our church, which I absolutely loved doing. Um, and it, I would come home from work at seven or half past seven and probably three nights of the week I'd be out again at eight o'clock running youth groups opening cafes with youngsters, counselling, all sorts of things. On a Sunday evening, we turn our, we had a little cottage in Surrey, and we turn our cottage upside down, and we'd have about two dozen youth would come in, and we'd do Bible studies. I'd been a Christian for about 18 months, okay? I mean, it was, it was nuts, really. It really was crazy. Um, but that, that's how, how we were. We, we did this for probably two or three years, and it actually wore us out. By then, we had four young children, and it didn't do our marriage very much good at all, um, because I was I was kind of driven again down this youth work. Um, Carly was struggling at home uh, with with four young children, and we didn't know how to get out of it really, because my career was in London. I didn't, you know, the, my career path I'd mapped out was in London. Uh, we were, we just loved the church that we were in, even though it was really testing us. Um, we needed to move house. There were all sorts of pressures coming on us. We just didn't know what to do. We could see no way out. Um, and we prayed about it. And uh, one evening, a friend of mine in Cornwall, who was a banker in Cornwall, phoned me up and said, Richard, there's a big project that's happening in Cornwall. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you apply for it? He wasn't a Christian. He didn't know our circumstances at all. And we thought long and hard about this. Um, I say long and hard, we probably thought for about five minutes about this and thought, I, I've got to apply for this role. It wasn't a promotion, it was a level move uh, to come down here to, to do quite a big project down in Cornwall. Uh, with, it was a time when banks were amalgamating, branches were amalgamating, and, and Cornwall was going to be the first opportunity to do that. So uh, um, I applied for the job and got the job. And so we were moved out of a situation, which I believe was very much a God, into back home, if you like, to for me, to Cornwall, although I had no real ambition to move back down to Cornwall. I, in fact, I kind of passed what I could do down here, you know, and I don't mean that in a big-headed way, but there wasn't really the jobs down here, but then this new job was created. Mm -hmm. So that's how we moved down. Mm. But um, I'd done all this amalgamation. I'd looked after a lot, managed most of the branches in Cornwall and in North Devon, had a big area that I was managing, and then more amalgamations happened. And the bank asked me to go back to London to do, uh, it was a time when we were sending stuff to India and I was asked to go back and be a project manager in London. And I didn't want to do that and didn't feel it was right. But very graciously, the bank said I could live here and provided I could be in London two or three times a month. And by that time, technology had improved and so on. So I was able to live here in Cornwall travel to London or to Bristol uh, occasionally, teleconferences and everything could happen. 
uh, from my home. So I was really blessed. And at the same time, this church was going through a big leadership upheaval. And the church here went down to about 12 people. And it was desperate. And, and um, I'd all, because I'd already learned my lesson in Surrey about not getting too involved and, you know, having a pressurised job and running a family to get, you know, to be careful that church didn't kind of suck me in. And, um, I, I said, I can't. I, well, the only thing I did was I arranged preachers to come in on Sunday morning because we had no preacher. We had no teachers or anything. So that's what we did. I did a, a schedule. There were some local preachers who came in and just did Sunday mornings. And then, and then, uh, and I was able to do that because I was able to work a bit of flexi time with the bank uh, as well. And then at the age of 51, the bank said, OK, we now need you to move to London. We need you there full time. And I said, what's the alternative? And uh, they said, well, you know, would you, how about retiring? And uh, I said, yeah, I'll have that. Thank you very much. <laughs> so what? that's how it happened. And, you know, God's hand was on this. When we look back, God's hand was on this. And I, I, I couldn't afford to just not work and I was 51 and, and the church couldn't afford to pay me there were only a, you know, a few people in the, in the church so I, I got a job uh, with the local college and I, I headed up their business faculty uh, at the college for three days a week I job shared with somebody we contrived it that we did a good job share and um, so I worked for the church effectively four days a week and worked for the co- college three days a week and and then the church said to me Richard you are our pastor which I found really difficult to accept, especially having said to Carly a couple of years earlier, don't let me ever, <laughs> don't let me ever, ever say yes to being a pastor. <laughs> so There's that wonderful thing, how do, you t- how do you make God laugh, you know, tell him your plans. Yes, you that's know. right. I'm not going to do this, I'm definitely not going to do that. <laughs> that's right. Uh, oh, amazing. So it's been a bit circuitous, yeah. but that's how it, and you know, God's hand, Nigel, it, we look back, we think, where are you, God? And of course he's there all the time. He's, he never leaves us. And, and we might feel lonely or we might feel exposed or don't know where the, the solution is going to come from. But God does. He knows the end from the beginning. We're, we're here in the middle and we can't see the end. But, but God's got his hand on us. And it's, it's, you know, are we prepared to trust him in that? And sometimes I'm not. I have to say, you know, I find it t- tough to trust him. Mm. Uh, mm. I mean, we know um, that life as a Christian is not always, is not always easy. And uh, I know that your wife, Carly, has uh, bipolar mm. and, and this has hospitalised her. Mm. Um, and your eldest son, uh, Charlie, was in the Paris in, in the army mm. um, and uh, was involved in operations in Ireland and Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, Going through challenges in life on a very personal level, mm. you know, a, a wife who's not well, a son who's literally in danger of his life. Mm. Um, how do you cope as a Christian? As a follower well, of Jesus? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, a, it's a struggle at times. And you, 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 I, you know, I've cried out to the Lord and said, I don't understand this. You know, we're, we're trying to follow your ways, Lord. We don't think we're sinning deliberately. Um, you know, we're, we're trying, we, you know, we pray, we read scripture. Why is this happening to me? So, 
we talk a lot about mental health, Carly and I, um, and we, we're very, very keen on helping people to understand uh, mental health. And, you know, if you're a Christian, is it right that you suffer from mental health issues? Surely, if you're a Christian, you should be OK in that in that area. And it's a, you know, it's a big challenge for many people. Um, many people who have a, a, a wonderful, lovely faith. And yet, for some reason, the brain's not wired up properly or the chemical reactions aren't working properly in the brain. And, you know, mental health issues are a result of that. So how do you cope with that? What well, you kind of cope with that. And this, I don't mean this to be trivial, but you, you kind of cope with that as if you've got a broken leg. And it's, it, it, it's the brain bit that's not working right, as opposed to the broken leg bit or the, you know, or the pancreas. You know, if you're a diabetic, it's not working right. So we, we kind of try and put it in that perspective. But I mean, we also believe that, that there's, a, there's a wonderful chance to show God's love in illness as well. There's a wonderful chance to, to demonstrate to others that, that actually this is not rocking our faith. In fact, this is a time to press into God even more when, you, when you're really struggling. Not to, to back away, but to, to, to press on in there. You know, we have to take that. When, when Paul says to God, you know, why am, why am I struggling with this? And he says, well, and the Lord says, well, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. Just, just hang on in there. This is, you're in the middle of this, I know, but I'm there with you. Um, we have to believe that, and we do believe that. God is in that mm. with us. Mm. So, if everything was rosy, if everything was fine, I, I probably wouldn't need the faith that I've got. <laughs> but, it's, you know, it's in those times of trial, when, when, I, when our son was in Afghanistan, he got injured out there and uh, one of his best mates uh, well he lost a number of friends out there but one of his mm. one of his best mates he had to go and recover the recover the body of a, a guy who was then posthumously uh, received the victoria cross charlie was involved in that skirmish um when you hear your son on the other end of the telephone a really strange telephone line saying dad i'm all right but actually i'm injured you think, okay, Lord, I really need you now. It's not, you know, God, you're useless. Now's the time. Mm. Now's the real time. And I need to mm. just hang on to that because mm. you said you'd always be there. Mm. Mm. And it's often, it's often in those really tough times, isn't it, actually, that we, we sense that closeness yeah. to God. You know, Psalm 23 even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He goes mm. from the he pronoun yeah. in verses one, two, and three. You know, he guides me in, in paths of righteousness. You know, he leads me to the you bit. And you see that contrast there yeah. in the tough times, the yeah. difficult times, the he becomes you. Yeah. The, the, the God that's out there suddenly becomes a God that needs to be right here. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, but, but we don't always feel that. Mm. I mean, I... You know, I've gone through periods, Nigel, where I do not know if I do not know um, in my mind if God is there because I can't I can't feel him. I can't sense him. 
uh, I can try to pray to him, but I'm even thinking, you know, I'm not sure these prayers are right. I'm not sure I'm getting through um, to him. Um, so there are, you know, I have I have dark periods as well where I'm wondering where God is, and yet and yet deep down you know He's there. That's the assurance that 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 we can have as Christians. He is there. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is in us when we ask Him to, when we when we repent and we acknowledge him as our lord and savior when we asked to be filled with the holy spirit and to be keep filled with keep being filled with the holy spirit we know you know in that deep inside in that knower that he is there even though i can't sense him i can't hear him i can't feel him and yet there is that deep assurance i'm going to i want to ask you a couple more quick questions uh, before we come on to the bible um on a similar theme that we've been talking to, but I think it'll be of great um, interest to listeners. Um, you know, you're a pastor, you, you're a great Bible teacher, um, you've got four kids. Um, I've got three children, sons myself. You know, one might think that as a pastor, good Bible teacher, all your kids would be walking intimately with the Lord, but, but there are no guarantees, are there? <laughs> no, there are no guarantees. Um, how do you cope with that? <laughs> But you have to remember, you know, we we had children before um, before I became a Christian. So um, two of our children did not grow up um, in that attitude, and the others, the other two, were sort of I don't know, eight or nine um, when I became a Christian. So how do you cope with it? So uh, my three boys um, during. Uh, as they were uh, growing up, went to church and went to Sunday school, you know, knew the Bible stories at that stage. But um, I think it's fair to say each one of them went away from the Lord. My daughter kind of stuck with her faith in a, in a much more secure way. I know there were times when, you know, you'd wonder if she's a Christian or not, but she she stuck with it. So how, yeah, how do you cope with that? You just love them. You just love and you love and you love them. And you pray for them. And you advise them when they come to you for help. And you say, well, I think this is probably what I would do, son. And and you are always there for them. And you go and pick them up from the pub or the police station or wherever they've been they you know they 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 end up um and and you serve them um to the best of your ability and and that's what we've done and um all of our children are now walking with the lord uh some of them i think whether their church life is as strong as perhaps i would like it to be i would i'm not sure about that and I think in some cases, certainly in in, in um, yeah, in some of the cases with my children, church has put them off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but they know answer. they know God. Mm. I love that answer. You just love them. You just love, love them into the kingdom. Mm. Now I want to in a second. I want to talk about the Bible, but I can't resist asking you the question: What is it like being the dad 
of a son who's got to the semi-final of Britain's Got Talent. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Well, I, I, I love all of my children. I, you know, they're all, they're all special, <laughs> Nigel. They, they are all special. They've all done amazing things and they've all taken big risks in their lives and I, I just love them all. Um, yeah, for Josh as a family, we all went to see uh, Josh uh, appear live in front of, I don't know how many millions of people it was, um, and, and that panel. And, and Josh, as a result of being on uh, Britain's Got Talent, came back to the Lord. So it, it had a... Tr- Who would have thought that? It had a <laughs> tremendous, dramatic impact on his life. Uh, being on Britain's Got Talent because the guy who won it, the magician who won it uh, the year that uh, Josh was on, his coach was a Christian. And his coach saw Josh before they went on air and went up to Josh and said, you seem very nervous, can I pray for you? And Josh accepted prayer. Um, There's a a bit more more of a story to that. But Josh now is, uh, he's quite a travelling evangelist himself. So he gigs, and uh, where it's appropriate, he, he, he will tell his, his story as well. So God's, God's ways are God's just, ways are just amazing. <laughs> you know, I, we would never, ever I, have I've never heard that that ex- those expressions go in the same sentence. Oh, Britain's got talent, <laughs> came back to the came back know, to You would have thought the other way around, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Anyway, I want to move on. Mm. The Bible. You, you clearly love the Bible. I know mm. you're a great Bible teacher. Why is the Bible important to you? People may be listening to this and say, yeah, the Bible, yeah, the Bible. But what is it about the Bible that's important to you? Well, it's the essence of life. It it gives me purpose. It gives me meaning. It's also, I often, uh, when I'm I'm preaching uh, or teaching, I often describe the Bible as being this wonderful jigsaw where you suddenly see how bits fit together. And for me, to see how this, this, this book of 66 different books written by 40-odd authors in slightly different languages, how all of this fits together rings true is just amazing. You know, and as it says in, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, no, all of this is God inspired. And, and when you un, when you begin to, and I'm only just beginning to understand the depth of this, when you start to understand it, how can it not affect you? It has to. It has to uh, affect you. So I, I just, I just love it. I mean, I just, just. How do you study it? How do you study it? I mean, do you have different ways of studying it for preaching as opposed to devotional time? I mean, how would you, how would you, yeah, how do you, because it's reading it, isn't it? And yeah, then yeah. Studying it. Yeah, yeah. So how do you study it? So, so I have, so I study it very hard when I'm preaching, obviously. So when I'm preaching, um, it, it, will, it will take me three or four days of solid studying before I bring the word on a, on a Sunday morning. So, but I have a devotional time, um, which I generally have in the morning. Well, I always have it in the mornings. And I, I, I'm, I have a, a set, um, one of the Bible apps I, I go through um, for my uh, devotional uh, time. Um, 
and I'm often reading books around the Bible uh, as well. Um, in fact, I mean, this book is not around the Bible. I'm, ju- I'm just finishing uh, one, once again um, uh, The God Delusion, um, Dawkins, Dawkins' book, uh, because we're starting to preach on Genesis again uh, at church on a Sunday. And it's, it's very interesting to see, to read. Uh, and I, I quite enjoy going on um, uh, atheists' websites because I like to see what, what are they saying mm. and how far away from the truth they actually are. Mm. So I've forgotten the question now. But how do you study the Bible? How do I study the, how do I study the Bible? So I kind of got a variety yeah. of, of yeah. ways, really. Yeah, um, I don't think I, I don't think I ever kind of read it just for pure enjoyment. I don't think yeah. you can. I personally mm. can't do that. Mm. I have to understand it. So I'm, yeah, 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 constantly. Do you have a favourite Bible book? Uh, fav- my favourite Bible book is Nehemiah. I love the book of Nehemiah. Why do you love the book of Nehemiah? I happen to love the book of Nehemiah yeah. myself as well, but why do you love it? Well, I think because there's so many leadership examples there. I mean, my favourite verse in Nehemiah is when Nehemiah has he's been praying for some time and he, and he knows that the walls of Jerusalem are in, in, a, in an awful state. And um, he wants to have the opportunity uh, to speak to King Artaxerxes about having time off to go back to Jerusalem. Um, my favourite verse in that particular section is when Artaxerxes sees Nehemiah and he says, you know, you're downcast, what's wrong? And Nehemiah sees his opportunity and he says, he says something like, so I prayed to God and I answered the king. And it just comes within one sentence. It's just that arrow prayer to God and I answered the king. Yeah. Those listening, it's Nehemiah chapter 2, verses, end of verse 4 and beginning of verse 5. The king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king. It's beautiful. If it pleased the king, then I want to go back. Yeah. And that's so t- why do you love that? Well, I just, I just love the simplicity of that. <laughs> Um, I mean, people, I've heard people refer to, to things like arrow prayers. You know, that was an arrow prayer straight, straight to God. That's not, we, we must remember, he'd been praying a long time before that. You know, there was a lot that went into it. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, so I, love, I love that. I love the fact that he knows what God's asked him to do. Yeah. And he knows his mind. Yeah. He's not going to be put off by Sam Ballot or Tobiah. Yeah. You know, and he, and he tells them, you get lost. Yeah. This is what God's got me to do. Um, and, and it's just that singleness of it. I love the way he motivates people. Yep. You know, and, and he says, come on, guys, we can do this. Yep. And where people are struggling, he says, OK, you take a back seat. You come to the fore seat. Let's, you know, put the put the trowel in one hand, the, yep. the sword in the other hand. Yep. And together we can move forward. And he and he keeps an eye on people. How are you doing? You know, there's a care there. And then and there's celebration there. There is. At the end, and, and then there's the reading of, of scripture, and it's just such a complete story, I think, in itself. It just it, and 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 you get you get um, um, in Nehemiah chapter one, you know, his heart for God's people yeah. and the city of God, because he asks when his brothers come, he <coughs> says, "Hey, how 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 are the Jews doing? Mm. Um, you know, what's going on with with the city?" And when he's told the state of the walls and the state of the people, he's cut to the quick. Yeah. And he sits down and he weeps and he mourns for days. And you think, 
Oh my goodness me! This these people and this place is very dear to yeah. him. Yeah. And then he pours out his heart to God. I mean, uh, yeah, it's we, wonderful. We, we could it? spend another three yeah. hours going through this together. And you have uh, to think, you know, the, the the challenge for us is: Are we weeping for people? Yeah. Are we weeping for people who are suffering? Are we weeping for people who don't know the Lord? And are we praying earnestly, as you know, with a heart that Nehemiah had? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a real challenge for us. Because we can become very apathetic. Uh, yeah. And we can pass the beggar on the street. And yeah. We can, can't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. And we don't, you know, really weeping yeah. for people that, that don't know the Lord. I have a lovely friend in the States. Um, his name is Jim Walker. Jim, if you're listening. Um, and Jim gets up every morning. And, and I don't know why, but he calls the Holy Spirit Bob. Okay. I've got no idea why he calls the Holy Spirit Bob. And he basically prays. He said, Bob, what are, we, what are we up to today? What are we going to do today? How, how can I see with the, your eyes? Yeah, how can I, where can I go? What can I do that you would have me do today? I think that's a yeah. wonderful prayer. Yeah, I mean, you know, if we pray that every day, then we might be, you know, we might be doing things or saying yeah. things that otherwise we might not. Yeah. Um, do you have a favourite Bible verse at all and if so why so my favorite bible verse can vary okay can often depend on the sort of mood that i'm in um it can um uh, i could be reading or studying something i think that is fantastic and it, then it becomes my favorite bible verse <laughs> i think the verse which really um i think would, would resonate me on on you know more than any other verse is is um from Philippians uh, 3, and it's just the end of 13, verse 13 and verse 14, where Paul says, Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's that's a kind of aspirational verse uh, for me. Wonderful. I've just been prompted to ask you that um, I don't know why I'm going to ask you this, but um, there may be somebody who's listening to this who's not a Christian, not following Jesus, not anywhere near studying the Bible, uh, engaged in the Bible. What would you say to that person as to why you would encourage them to be a follower of Jesus? What they would do, need to do to do mm. that? Mm. And why you would encourage them to start reading the Bible. Mm. Okay. Um, well, f- first of all, I would say to uh, I'd say to someone who's who just kind of might be interested, don't lose the interest. Okay, because I think if you've got an interest, then I would suggest that God is prompting you. In that, there will be all sorts of distractions to say you don't need to do that, and you can live life without without being a Christian. Um, and you need to think, well, whose voice am I listening to? Because God would want you to be one of his children. I would encourage you to look to see if there's, say, an Alpha course running nearby. Most churches in most towns, or a church in most towns, will be running an Alpha course. And an Alpha course is a great introduction to the Christian faith. And will take you through without 
forcing you to believe in anything, but will take you through uh, um, over a period of, of a few weeks of the basic fundamentals of what be, what being a Christian is. So I would in, encourage somebody to do that. I would encourage them to take courage themselves and go along to a church. A, I would call it a lively church. I would encourage you to look at the churches that are in your area and to look at where people perhaps stand outside of a church door on a, on a Sunday morning and look at who's going into these churches. How many people are going in? What are they? Are they my age group that are going in? Could I? Do I think I could associate with some of these sorts of people? Because there are churches for different types of people. But the important thing is that the Bible is preached at the church. So when you get to that church, is the Bible opened, and is it taught from? Do people? whoever's leading the service are they actually helping you to understand a passage of scripture is it clearer once you once they've um, preached on it um i would suggest there's, there's a few other things there's things like um there's some beautiful little um leaflets that you can get i mean i i know i was very impacted by a leaflet called journey through life which you can google that and, and, and uh, you know, get that little leaflet and it will just explain to you very simply what being a Christian is, how we how we're all sinners, how all of us have fallen short of what God expects of us, how all of us have pushed God to one side um, and, and how we need to say sorry for that, how we need to repent is the word for that and how we need to turn back to Jesus and acknowledge him that he died for us, that he he took the punishment that should be on me because of the way I've treated God. Jesus took that punishment for me on the cross. We need to acknowledge that. But more than that, as, as accounts, as ancient, uh, as history tells us, Jesus rose again. Not just the Bible, but history tells us Jesus rose again. He overcame death. He he, he, he demonstrated that he was the son of God by rising again. And that's what we put our hope in. You know, and it's not a hope, well, I hope it doesn't rain on Sunday. It, it's, a, it's a knowledge. It's, a, it's, 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 it's just knowing that, that God loves you so much that Jesus came to earth to die for you, to take the punishment. So if, if you think you'd like to become a Christian, God is prompting you. You need to do something about it. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And um, you know, as a ministry, uh, we are here to support you as well. And we, uh, we, uh, there's a particular uh, study that's come to my mind. It's called "Lord, Teach Me to Study the Bible in 28 Days," because we get to know this God, we get to know this Jesus that you're talking about through studying the book. And we need help with that. Mm. And that is a particularly great resource for people that want to start on this journey practically, effectively, engagingly to get to know Jesus. So, Richard, it has been a pleasure to speak to you today. Um, really pray that God continues to bless you here mm. in Weybridge, in Cornwall. Bless your teaching. Bless the people that hear your teaching. 
and that many more souls come into the kingdom as a result of your ministry. Mm. So thank you so much. Pleasure. You have been listening to The Bible and Me Podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Preset Min UK.